Welcome to the Antler Up Podcast. Black Rifle Coffee Company is a veteran-owned coffee company serving premium coffee to people who love America. Fall is upon us and there's no better way to get fueled up before hunt than with some Black Rifle Coffee. Coffee legitimately tastes better after a day in the woods or after a successful hunt. Fuel your next adventure and purchase at www.blackriflecoffee.com and use code ANTLER at checkout to save 20% off your purchase and or with your first coffee club subscription. Black Rifle Coffee. Last year was a wild year for censorship for hunters and anglers. We partnered with social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild was built by outdoorsmen and women by hunters and anglers just like you. Go Wild is a free social community. Not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged on Go Wild. And Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. As you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards too, such as gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. Oh, and if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. Visit and download GoWild.com to get started. Tethered is a team of saddle hunting fanatics with a passionate addiction to whitetail hunting. Designing and engineering products to be a more efficient and confident hunter, Tethered produces the most mobile, stealthy, and safest elevated hunting gear on the planet. Built by saddle hunters for the saddle hunter. Head over to tethernation.com to see for yourself what exactly I'm talking about. America's Best Bowstrings has been manufacturing high-quality custom bowstrings in the USA since 2006. America's Best Bowstrings strives on the commitment to never end the search for perfection, and this has been the driving force behind the company. Innovative products for every archer out there. Go create a custom set today at americasbestbowstrings.com. Our friends over at Half Rack just released some awesome gear and they were great enough to give our listeners 10% off their order. All you have to do is click on the link in the podcast bio or the link on our link tree on Instagram and that will give you your percentage off at checkout. So get some of the highest quality hunting and outdoor accessories that will help you prosper in the field. Half Rack is aiming to be mindful of the past, conservation conscious and evolve into the future. Forged in combat and tailored for hunters, Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly innovative and science-based products that save the hunter time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. You can now take Spartan Forge with you wherever you go by downloading the mobile app. Enjoy deer prediction analysis, weather forecasts, historical data, detailed journaling, as well as crisp maps. It's time for you to make the most of your season and let Smart and Forge do that for you. Use code ANTLERUP to save 20%. Check it out over at spartanforge.ai. 
What's up, everybody? Welcome back to a new episode of the Antler Up podcast. On today's episode, Dimitri and I, we were joined by Austin Stone from Tactical Approach Outdoors. And Austin resides in Missouri. But over the last couple of years, he's been hunting highly pressured whitetails all over the country on public land. And within the last two years, he decided to take kind of his educational approach and develop a program called the Deer Hunting Academy. Over 23 different topics. Man, this is good for anybody for, from a new hunter all the way to a veteran hunter, which is different topics, maybe different ways to cover certain things. But in this episode, we kind of quickly go over his program, what this is, what it offers. But then we really dived into some of his kind of uh, bread and butter topics of, of chasing whitetail. I asked him kind of what his top three things are to need it needs to get the job done chasing those highly pressured whitetail deers. He talks about the prep, sign, cold fronts, finding scrapes, all that type of stuff. So we dive into a lot of whitetail kind of tactical stuff on his approach to that. So if you're into that type of stuff, this is the podcast for you. Just want to say thank you again so much for all your support. Demetri and I, Jim, Mike, we all appreciate it so, so much. Uh, check us out over at antlerupoutdoors.com. We have a few more hats still left in stock until we re-up for the fall. So let us know if you're interested in any specific colorways. Let us know. Thanks again, everybody. Enjoy this episode. Antler up. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for again for tuning in to a new episode. On the other line, we actually have Austin Stone from Tactical Approach Outdoors. Austin, thanks for joining us, man. Uh, appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Awesome, dude. Well, Austin, talk about, I guess, jump right into uh, where you're coming from and kind of your, your little bit of, of bio and kind of like what you've been up to these last couple years uh, of, of your hunting style and stuff like that. So my name's Austin Stone. You know, I'm the owner of Tactical Approach Outdoors. Um, I'm from Kansas City, Missouri, so I'm here in the, the Midwest. And I full-time, I work as a personal fitness trainer. And I'm pretty, you know, I enjoy that career. It's pretty rewarding. And the last couple of years, I've actually been building, building Tactical Approach Outdoors into a deer hunter education and trying to do my part to help anybody and everybody not only get started deer hunting, um, but, you know, see more success in the woods and accomplish their goals. So, you know, do, do my part on that side of the things and create a good positive you know, energy and atmosphere and help our hunting community as much as I can. Um, last year I had an, my best season yet, an amazing year. I shot three really nice mature deer. Um, one ended up being a 170, um, you know, two, two in Missouri, including the 170. And then that was my first year hunting Iowa. And I was in, able to connect on a, on a real solid eight point out there as well. So, I've spent the last couple of years really just kind of building tactical approach and learning the industry and learning videography. And as you guys know, there's, there's a whole lot to learn about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's a two episode, uh, in itself, let alone bet between the industry and <laughs> between the industry and, and just the video aspect of things. Dude, seriously. <laughs> uh, well, that's awesome, man. You talked about, you know, two in Missouri, your home state, and then going into Iowa, Let's kind of save a little bit of that information for when we talk about that. But how long have you been, you said the last couple of years, how long have you been kind of tackling the whole tactical approach outdoor thing? So the um, idea of my, my mentoring idea, my deer hunter education idea really came up two years ago. That's when my 
general idea for the business where it really started. Um, I knew a couple of years before that, that I wanted to try to do something industry in the industry, but I wasn't really sure what, what to do and how to go about do, doing that. So I just kind of, you know, started making connections and, you know, obviously I loved it, deer hunting, been doing it my whole life. So I'm like, you know, we all try to figure out a way, how can we do it full time? But also with me being a um, personal trainer, I've always tried to go towards the instructor and helping people route. And that's kind of like, okay, how can I maybe try to help somebody who didn't have that mentor growing up kind of like what I had, you know, and what most of us who got into hunting, we started early with our, our dad or grandpa or somebody showed us the the ropes. And, but I talked to a lot of folks that didn't have that, but really wanted to start. So I'm like, okay, well maybe there's something here that I can possibly help with. And, and, you know, cause I, there's no reason to, to not hunt if there's any way that somebody can help you along, along the way, you know what I mean? So it's like, okay, how can I build on what all these other super knowledgeable deer hunters have done through, through the years and just create something of my own and, and give my perspective and help folks out. So the three of us could have that, you know, we see that importance and Dimitri and I, and, and so the three of us have the opportunity to grow up in a hunting mm-hmm. family that goes out and it's really a part of our lifestyle. And we really don't think anything else of it, but there are times where you have like, especially for me being in a classroom and talking to students and being in a rural, you know, kind of area here in central Pennsylvania, you know, there's times where I do talk to kids where, you know, their parents want nothing to maybe possibly do with hunting, but they're interested in it. You know, they want to shoot a bow. They're like, especially when we teach it in our classes, uh, for me, my health class or PE class, kids love it. And I, I nerd out, you know, that's the first thing I always tell them. I said, I'm sorry, but I'll nerd out and I'll probably give you way too much information and what you need to be doing, but that's just how it, how it's going to be in here today and whatever and build upon that. But (laughs) it's, it's really neat though, that, that you're, kind of taking that aspect or that route because i mean there's all there's so many of us now in this industry more than you know probably we even think i mean between podcasts and youtubes and just everything out there it's so easy to do it anymore i guess and there's so much information out there so it's a neat different uh thing that you're you're trying to accomplish and and tackle yeah and that's the great thing about the the digital age that we are in and the social media age that we're in you know there's all obviously a lot of bad that comes with it but at the same time if you use it correctly there's a lot of good that you can do with it and i I see how you know information available has is the best it's ever been you know back when we were growing up we had you know monster bucks vhs tapes and we had the magazines and 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 written um, content that, that we could read and watch, but a lot of it really wasn't tailored to us public land guys and uh, the real world hunters. So you kind of got this stigma around where you just really can't shoot big mature deer consistently on really pressured ground. So it's really hard to find the information out there about that. And that's, what's awesome about like what you guys are doing with your podcast and some of the other guys are doing podcasts and the YouTube and social medias. There really is a lot of information available out there. Well, and I can even see with a lot of new hunters, you know, you, you 
trying to figure out where do you where do you go from here, right? You get this idea of, you know, maybe you talk to somebody and you're like, oh, I want to try this hunting thing or whether it's just shooting in general, maybe you just want to kind of get in the target archery and then you just kind of think, where do you go from here, right? You know, and it's one of those things, if you dive into it, you know, you're, you're probably not going to be very successful and then you're probably going to lose interest pretty quickly, right? You know, so there's got to be some groundwork to kind of, get you heading in the right direction, which maybe not going to make you totally successful at the front, but maybe uh, make you a little bit more knowledgeable and have a good head start before you even dive into it. And that, and that's what really right there is exactly the reason I built the course that I built and tried to create these services is yes, the information is available, but you also don't know what you don't know. So, so you don't always know what to research if you've never heard of this particular topic. So, you know, I wanted to create something where everything you need to know is in one place and then you learn what I know and I can teach you as best I can. And then you take that topic and search for everybody else that's super knowledgeable that has information out there as well and, and kind of figure out your own system to, to it. You know what I mean? So it's like you, there's a lot of things that I, I didn't know through the years that, you know, once I heard it, I researched it. And I'm like, oh, there's my missing link. That's that's exactly what I've been searching for. So, you know, if I can help that person, maybe help bridge that gap and shorten that learning curve a little, little bit for them, see a little success a little bit faster. Yeah, I think the one aspect, and Dimitri, you brought up a good point about, like, when people – want to learn to shoot a bow and go out hunting maybe just they get right into it they dive right away they got a, a bow from a pawn shop or from a whoever you know what i mean a hammy down from some, like some great uncle and they go out there and they don't know really what they're looking for and luckily step up on a, a deer whether it be a doe and they have their doe tag and they shoot they miss and they get discouraged and they no longer want to do it like for some you know that that miss is going to make someone go down a rabbit hole to really hunt harder and, and be like, I want to figure this out. And for some, they're going to be like, all right, this is not what I want. It's too hard. And I don't know as much information. And that's where hopefully, like you said, Austin, a program like, like what you're designing could help someone out. So, you know, talk a little bit about your, the program itself, like what it, like, how do you access it? What is it? Um, and like what, I mean, I know you look, click on it. You have, uh, I saw even the other day you posted like 23 different topics and I, the one thing that I wrote, that's a wrap for another episode of the Antler Up podcast. Again, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Check us out over at antlerupoutdoors.com. Check out our Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and our Go Wild pages. Thank you again, everybody, for all the continued support. See you next week, Antler Up. One thing I think a lot of people that listen to podcasts, other than the normal everybody, like, you know, I'll go out there and say the, the three of us that are out there in the trenches and love doing this stuff and learning and growing and all that type of stuff, but, like, people that are trying to get over the hump, I guess you could say, that listen to a bunch. You know, why Why uh, tactical approach uh, the outdoor program, the Deer Hunting Academy? So, like you said, it, it covers 23 topics, and I have tried to make that course as simple but very detailed as possible. So I want anybody and everybody, you know, of all skill levels, very beginner to – intermediate to understand the material and be able to get something out of it so you know i'll start with equipment you know i talk about field dressing shot placement and the real basics that 
at the very beginning, and then we'll get into, you know, terrain features, how to hunt each terrain feature, wind, scent control, and and a few other things in the middle. And then at the end, we, you know, talk about, you know, mindset, hunt to life balance. That's a bit big one. Something I've, I've heard a few podcasts talk a lot more about mindset, which I love hearing guys get into because as public land hunters and bow hunters, if you're out there hitting it hard and really chasing these, these big mature deer, even just, just deer in general, I mean, you're going to go through a bunch of failures. There's ups and downs the entire season and learning how to manage that mindset to help you be successful, which in turn will take, will help you be successful in the woods. And I've seen it by myself throughout the years that when I have, when my mind is right it, it works when my mind is not right. I kind of shortcut stuff. And that's the last thing you want to do, especially with these big mature deer, they don't let you shortcut. So especially these does and, 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 you know, young bucks, you can get a look, get away with just a little bit more, but still they know like that they're, they're pressured animals. They know how to survive. So, you know, that, that course is five hours of educational material. It's got 40 videos in it, so I've really tried to make it very long, and obviously as the years go on, I'm going to keep adding to it and just keep refining it and making it better, but it's it covers anything and everything you need to actually need to know, and, and then you can branch off of that from there, depending on your, you know, the region you live in and your, um, the properties that you have available. If you're a lease, you've got a few people hunting it, or you hunt public, or you just your private property and you're the only dude out there doing it, you know, and you can research past that, that, and then refine your process to your specific circumstances. But, you know, if you cover the, if you nail your foundation and the fundamentals of all of it, you can take those fundamentals and basically go to any region and di- different, you know, terrain and, and what, what not and be and, and find success. You're going to have to refine your process when you get there, but the fundamentals are the same. So that's what, that's really what I wanted to, to crush on that course is I didn't want to just make it. So just, you know, us four or five States here in the Midwest with farm ground, it's about, that's the only, that's the only thing this course tailors to, no, I wanted to reach out and try to help as many people around the country as I can. And um, I couple that with, um, mentoring because I, I really wanted to take also a more hands-on approach and to really help people. Cause as, as you, you all know, we we've had that immediate question that we needed an answer to throughout the years. You know, we were able to text our dad or, or somebody say, Hey, you know, what do you think about this blood? You think I should give him a couple more hours or do you think I should go after him? You think we're good. Or, you know, should I choose this tree or this tree? You know, it might be a 20 yard difference, but, as a bow hunter, a twenty yard difference is everything. So I wanted to, so I wanted to create that that mentoring, you know, availability also to have a little bit more of a hands on approach with folks, and that was the big one I wanted to to crush. And then I just got into the course from there, and um, I've got a few other consulting um, services that I'll do, you know, on site for private land, and then virtual if. If you want to schedule a virtual call, we'll talk for a few hours, cover the map, everything that your hunting system, and make sure you know everything you've got. But the cool part about that mentoring is that you don't have to wait for that phone call. 
you can shoot that text, you can shoot that email, and you get that immediate response and and answer your question right there on, in the moment so you can help have, have success right then instead of waiting a week for that phone call. You know, and the one thing you, you were talking about is, as I was thinking – the different locations, you could also tailor that to a lot of veteran hunters as well, just because like for us, like we've hunted basically Pennsylvania all our life, right? You know, even though we've been in the big woods, but like someone like Jeremy has, you know, a couple points in Iowa, he's never hunted the Midwest before, right? You know, so that's a totally different ball game of, you know, different tactics and different terrain features that you're going to hunt. So even someone that's pretty knowledgeable about hunting a certain area, right, and had a lot of knowledge on public ground may have to do things a lot differently when he goes out there for, you know, he's been saving up these points for a long time. You know, he's going to want to make the most of his opportunity when he goes out there. So something like this would really, you know, give him that kind of that, basic uh baseline that he needs before even going out there and stepping foot and putting boots on the ground and that that's a good good point also i I didn't didn't really think about that it's just you know you hunt a property for so long you just get to know that property so well that you almost miss a few key you know fundamentals per se of of um your deer, deer hunting where you know, that's what's helped me a lot by is going out of state and learning these new, new places, man. It, it really has helped my, my deer hunting and, and transfer what I've taken from out of state to my home state. It's, it's actually really crazy to know, to see the difference in how my, how my knowledge has progressed and the change in how my hunting has evolved. But yeah, you could take this that then and help you see those, that kind of success, you know, good truth trading from, say even private to public or even going out, going to a different state. You're right. I like the idea of what you'd said. I mean, that covers so many different scenarios for individuals. Uh, like even like, I, you know, I'm just, I was kind of like looking at different things like on, on the program. Uh, but that's just a huge, like I think of last year for myself going to Delaware, that was a whole different early season hunt. I never really hunted early season other than a couple of years ago when Demetri and I went out to Utah chasing mule deer. I mean, that's, and that's a whole different animal in itself, not just early season. Uh, so like early season whitetail and just how, like where the did the deer bed, where their food was and just how, I mean, you always hear like, Oh, at last light, you know, that's when the deer are going to be moving, but like literally at last light, like not like at an hour before. And like, we were used to the golden hour or the golden half hour. It was like the golden two minutes, you know, you got to be in that right spot, right time. (laughs) And hopefully you have that, that opportunity. And, uh, so, I mean, that's really, really cool. Austin, man. And and I really, um, you know, I give you kudos. So like what, how have you, um, I mean, obviously going through the experience and of yourself and, and kind of keeping track of that, you know, how long, you know, would you say you've been kind of chasing the whole public land thing to feel like, you know, strong enough to say like, Hey, I'm, I'm confident enough to go out there right now and create this, this program. Uh, you know, maybe like what were some learning curves or some things that you, uh, felt like you did a really good job of of improving on on your skill set as a hunter to bring it to new hunters or veteran hunters themselves so um 
I've been hunting public land my whole life. So my, my dad got me started when I was 10. I started carrying my own gun when I was t- 10 years old. And, um, you know, you t- take your lawn chair out, sit on a, on a hot trail and just, just sit and wait, you know, for, for the deer to come by and, you know, just, just see if you can put some meat in the freezer. You know what I mean? And I shot my first deer at 11. I started bow hunting 13, 14. And that was fun to learn was once I really started picking up that bow is really when I started learning something. One, I got to hunt more. So I got to be in the woods longer and see more action, see, see more deer. And, um, I shot my first mountable buck at 19. And that's really when it kind of took off is the, you know, with the understanding, um, of how the, these bucks work. And I still had a long ways to, to learn a lot to learn, but that's kind of, and that's also when the addiction really kicked in. It's like, you know, you try so hard to, to shoot a deer like that. And when you fi- finally do, and you wrap your hands around, it, you're like, all right, I kind of, I kind of want to do this more often. <laughs> so, so I just, I just dove into books. Um, I've, I read a lot of um, John Eberhardt stuff. Listen, listen to a lot of his podcasts. He he really relates. I felt like he related a lot to my style of hunting. So that's what drew me to him. And the moment I found his stuff, it really helped me kind of put some a couple of the puzzle pieces together that I was missing. Um, I, I've done a lot of stuff. Um, read, I've got multiple books from Jeff Sturgis. I got some of his stuff. He he does a lot more private land, but he he gets the deer hunting fundamentals so there's a few few of those guys like that that i've kind of followed throughout the years read their books watched their videos just kind of learned and evolved and you know um learning that you're not as making the mistakes you hit i had a couple years in the last last set seven years or so that that were terrible like i got i flat out got my butt whooped and i got my butt whooped by does too like it it was like okay well this is and it was because i went to a new property different time of year and they it was just it was just different and man it i took what i took from those seasons is is a drive and then an understanding is i fixed what i was getting beat how however they're beating me i was fixed it and then i went into the next season with another drive i ended up putting the a buck down you know one a bigger deer and it just kind of has slowly progressed and i started going to south dakota so hunting a completely different area i started hunting multiple different properties here in missouri try to really diversify myself i didn't stick to one property like i did for so long i tried to diversify my my properties which helped me really kind of understand not only you know how deer move on that particular property but each individual property maybe find some um overlap like some patterns to how deer use this property is river bottom and this property is hill but maybe there's a overlap in how that they move and i can kind of figure that out find that pattern i could take it to each individual property and test it and once i kind of put those puzzle pieces more together and it it kind of fell in line and um a few years ago, I figured out, you know, um, really how to properly use scent lock. And, and one of the biggest things I'm on public that I was having is getting into these really funky, weird 
spots, these bottoms and these spots where the wind swirls, but the deer are there. So it's like, I got to get down there, but I never hunted them because I knew I was going to get busted. So I'm like, okay, how can I fix this? How can I? And then once I finally figured out how to use scent lock properly, that's when I actually was able to get into these weird spots. And then in turn, my mature buck sightings have, have truly gone through the roof. It, I've changed my approach and, you know, slightly in my access and, learn from the mistakes I've made and just kind of refined it as I've gone. Well, and I think you made a good point, especially for, for new hunters to hear is it's, you're going to get your butt kicked, right? Whether you've been doing this for one year or if you've been doing this for 15 plus years. Right. And I think a lot of new hunters need to hear that reality right up front. Right. You know, this isn't just going to be something you dive into. It's going to be easy, you know, and, and like you said before, even when you kind of research on YouTube, right, you're going to see a lot of the successes, right? And it may not tailor to you because let's be honest, a lot of people are putting videos out there that are going to get views, right? And those failures aren't going to get good views. Let's be honest. But so you, you might say or get discouraged because all these people are having success, right? And it might not even tailor to similar areas that you hunt. You go out there, get your butt kicked, get discouraged pretty quickly again, you know. So I think just that clear message and 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 seeing that it's okay to fail is something that every hunter goes through, and not just new hunters. Yeah, and that that's that's you spot on with that. I mean, it, you have to know that you're going to make mistakes. You're going to get your butt kicked. You're going to lose deer, no matter how long you hunt. No matter how hard we try not to let it happen, it's going to happen. And, you know, everybody likes to put that persona out there that they're perfect. They make no mistakes. And, and you know, you can see people making comments and stuff, you know, as if they're perfect hunters. I'm like, no, like, like come on now. I mean, it, so it creates a bad image for, for new hunters, like you said. And it's like, no, it's, it's all right. It happens. Like, learn from that don't make that mistake again or try not to at least. And then that that's when you cha- change it up. As long as you're not continuing to make that same mistake and you learn from it and you just make the change that you need to make and adjust your process, you're going to see, see that success, but you're going to continue to make mistakes no matter how long you hunt. It's just the way it just, the way, the way it goes. And honestly, that's kind of what makes it so daggum addicting is because it's not easy. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Austin, you talk a, talk a little bit. Let's backtrack to that uh, time of like when you do hunt those river bottoms and the times where it is difficult to hunt those swirling winds and, and the way thermals pull and, and rise and, and, you know, drop in a sense. You know, what are or what did you learn and may adjust for your entry routes and the access that maybe you were going into just because like even for myself, I've been really trying to map out for this upcoming season where I'll be hunting, um, you know, just where I know I, I could be good at, like in a sense of, okay, on a, you know, Northwest wind, I'm solid to enter by this. And in the evenings I can and cannot because, you know what I mean? So I'm, I'm really starting to map that out uh, really heavily right now. So maybe, you know, touch upon like what clicked for you and how you went about making that adjustment for yourself. Um, one, I, I access incredibly early. I get out there 
so stinking early. And and one of the reasons for that is because I had a um, a real ridgy property that I was hunting, and every time I accessed, I was walking through deer. And no matter how it's it, and I'm you know I'm an hour and a half before sunrise, I'm still walking through deer. And um, but that was like my only access because it was it was pinched by private, and the ridges were so steep that I truly couldn't take another route to get back to where I was trying to get to. So I, I added an hour, honestly, I added an hour and the deer weren't there. So I was able to beat the deer back to where they're at. Yeah. It's, it sucks sit, sitting out there that long, but honestly, I'd rather take a, a nap in my tree stand, you know, and add a couple hours to my hunt early, and, you know, to get to my tree stand in a place that I know my wind is good and, you know, just be in front of the deer and um, learning to hunting the, those ridges also, the, a lot of the times those deer are in the bottoms. Those big scrapes are in the bottoms. So it's learning how to bend that wind in, in a sense of way. You know, you got that that wind coming straight down. The If you've got a north-south running ridge, you know, that wind's just going to be funneling right down that ridge. But there's this draw that if I get – just off to the just on the corner of that draw that wind will bend and take my scent now up that draw versus straight down the bottom that i'm trying to hunt so it's just kind of learning what the wind does in that particular location and that's just using my wind checker you know milkweed and whatnot and um um and just kind of understanding what the deer are doing in that area like i said you know i saw every time i went into this spot i was uh, spooking out deer you know early so it's like okay i know the deer are there at this time every single morning i've got to change that i can't go I, I can't go in there at the same time again or it's just i keep messing myself up so so i changed that um and and knowing that i was like on bedded deer i couldn't even go in later so it's like okay so i can't access later because then i'm again going to be walking through bedding to get to where i'm trying to get to so it's just kind of understanding what the deer are doing in that particular location. Um, my my scent control, everything I do with scent control is as perfect as I can try to make it. I mean, I you know I, I try not to let my beard grow out too too long de- during deer season because that traps scent. Um, I every time I walk in, I walk in with full full scent locked up when I'm x distance from my tree stand that I know that, okay, I might be touching some limbs, um, or coming up on possibly coming up on deer. And, uh, when I'm in the tree, tree stand, man, I'm just, I'm there, I'm there to stay for for the day. And, you know, I'm, I got full face cover, hands covered, full, full ge- geared up. And it's worked for me ever since I've been doing that. I can sit into some funny, spots i'm still paying attention to the wind obviously you know as best i can but i'm able to kind of get access into these spots that are kind of funnier to hunt where previously i would have just stayed out of because i knew i was going to get busted now you talked about knowing what the wind's going to do in certain areas which you know like you said you get into some of those funky areas especially in the bottoms and you you really don't know how the wind's going to react now is that something maybe when you're scouting out a spot or you know you're checking trail cameras before the season are you taking like a wind checker and maybe checking what that wind's doing in that area because i 
that's something that's not really talked about, which kind of makes sense of knowing what's, you know, if you want to hunt that and what wind direction, where that's going to go and how you're going to set up, you know, it, it, you kind of usually get up in the tree and you think, you know, what the wind's doing. And it's like, Oh crap, it's not doing what it wants to. Is that something you kind of try to figure out and plan ahead? Yeah, absolutely. That I will take my scent checker with me. And if I feel like I'm in an area that could possibly get funky, wind i'm gonna i'm gonna check it and you know make a note of it like okay so the wind says it's a west wind today but it's blowing south or you know i i check it a couple times it's kind of making a funny it's going a couple different directions on me and um i'm just going to pay attention to kind of what the terrain is doing also because when you're in when you're in river bottoms um, and up on top of the ridge, the, pre- the wind is going to be pretty consistent, you know, which is nice. And it's nice to hunt areas like that. They're a little bit more flat. The wind isn't going to do anything really funny on you, but it really gets kind of funny when you get around the ridges. And that's where I will check early or as often as I can um, to make sure I- I'm good to go. And then when I'm in the tree stand, you know, if if I hadn't checked this spot in a wall because i do a lot of hanging hunt situations so i may go do a state a tree i haven't necessarily been to yet if i'm checking that wind throughout the day and it's funky i need to make note of that and and know that um that this is what's going to happen in this particular spot and then if i can figure out why like maybe it's a terrain feature that's causing that that wind maybe i can shift slightly and still hunt that spot and and fix my wind or it's just that okay this this spot period is going to be weird that's just it's just the way this spot's going to be so um yeah i'm just going to take notes as much as i can you know through my scouting and and whatnot and and make sure i go in as prepared as i can for sure nice all right austin you killed uh, – we're still going to kind of talk and, and we'll bring up your, your academy for sure as we continue on. But as, as you're sitting here talking and, and I'm, I'm enjoying this, you know, what are the three things and maybe they tie in with each one of your three successful hunts this past year, like you said, on nice three big mature deer. Um, I mean, shit, I didn't even kill a buck last year, so it's like you killed three nice ones. So mm-hmm. let's, let's talk about what were three things that like – led to you getting it done like our was each hunt like hey these three things were in all three hunts because i did this on like i'm just making an example like i hunted this ridge with this type of wind and i got in there you know or however you see fit but what three things has led to your success um whether you know and this could be for, for you personally and that could help either a new hunter a veteran hunter you know, you continuing forward, it doesn't matter what stage of uh, life you are as a hunter, but like, what are the three things that you think have helped you get the job done, uh, more so recently? Um, I mean, so the, really the, those, those, first, those three things I can think about right off the top of my head is preparation, fresh sign and movement and a cold front. And, and that each, each one of these bucks, all three of them last year were shot off the scrapes. Every single one of them, two of them were, were mid October. So that quote unquote October lull. So I shot my, a nine point Missouri, um, first sit on property period. 
I shot him and I went to Iowa and shot my, my eight point up there seven days later. And so exact same time, time of time of year. And, and the biggest thing that for those two deer is the scraping was still very new that there hadn't been a lot of scrapes open up yet. So I knew that when I got some open scrapes, it was going to be mature deer, how big, big they were. I didn't necessarily know, but I knew they were going to be mature deer and more than likely something I was going to be happy with, with wrapping my tag on. And, um, and then I just waited for that cold front. So all these spots I had scouted postseason. I knew exactly where the main sign tended to congregate, where the what the food sources looked like, which they were all acorn trees, all mass trees, and somewhat close relation to to a main crop field, but you know, not really super right. close. The uh, Iowa buck was pretty pretty close to a crop field. I'm not gonna not gonna lie about that one. Um, and then it was so this speed scouted and found the fresh sign. So I, I do, there's a couple spots to look for. Missouri was real slow for me starting out through October. So I wanted to get down to this prop property and I found um, a 400 yard stretch of scrapes. That was it. That there's no other scrapes I found anywhere on the property except this 400 yard stretch. And it was, Immediately butt butted up to super thick bedding. The acorns were like marbles on the ground, and it was difficult access. I had a canoe to it, so so it was one. It was hard to get to. The hunting pressure hadn't really got there yet, probably at all. To be really honest with you, probably no one's hunted back there yet for that year because it was so early still. But it was fresh sign, and the moment I found it, I got out, so I didn't mess it up. And then I came back immediately on the next cold front, which was, I think it was like seven days later, I got a really good cold front. And I immediately went in on this hunt and ended up shooting him 30 minutes before before dark. So it's super windy all day. There's movement, but it was their real skittish and just kind of slow movement. You could tell that they were kind of on edge. But um, right when that wind died, man, that... I, the deer were thick and I had four, three or four bucks come in and um, competing for this scrape. And one of them ended up being a 130 inch nine point. So, so, and then, you know, kind of same way with the Iowa buck first, first scrapes that, that, that were open on this particular property. I had a couple key locations. I wanted to check out when I got up there and just figure out what's, what was fresh. And it just this one corner, I found was fresh, but there's like 10 scrapes within a few hundred yards of each other. And man, they're like size of car hoods and Mm. you know, they could, you could tell they're being used. My, okay, well here's my spot. It's just this fine to set up. And then, um, Iowa had to be, I had to hunt Iowa. Couldn't just get out and wait just cause it was an out of state hunt. But I knew I didn't want to mess up that hunt by pushing deeper and kind of being dumb and, overly aggressive mm-hmm. so i uh, so i wanted to balance that that aggression out and, you know i saw a really really nice you know probably 13 point i think on day two he never gave me a shot and then the cold front hit towards the end of my end of my hunt and i ended up shooting this eight point at first light and the day, day before was real nasty high wind just kind of a disgusting day didn't see much of anything and then that that next morning he came 
came through working scrapes. He had every single scrape down that tree line all the way to my tree stand. So, and, um, you know, my 170 in Missouri, he was a month later. He was actually the, the second weekend of rifle. So we're smack dab middle of rut. I hadn't set foot on this property in probably a month and a half, to be really honest with you. So I didn't want to mess it up. So, um, did you know he was there? No, 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 not a clue. So that, that was kind of the cool part too. So I, I opening week, weekend of rifle for us was really rough that that property that we were on had been pounded with hunting pressure, man. We had probably 10 guys in camp and none of us were seeing much. I mean, it was, it was rough. So I, I got out there that Monday and this was an archery only property. And I got out that Monday and I found rubs on trees. Just, I mean, this big around, I mean, absolutely just shredded and the scrapes were hot. So I knew something really big was, was there. I just didn't know exactly what. And I already had a tree stand set up because I knew this location was hot historically. So I already had a setup in this white Oak and I had a couple scrapes. The two scrapes that were by that stand were open and actively being used. And th- those rubs were within a hundred yards of my, my stand. So, and I knew that I was butted up against bedding there in that Ridge. So I was like, okay, there's something nice here. So, and so I immediately got out of that and that next cold front was like four days later, three or three days later. So I, I went in on a Monday, found it. And on Thursday, I, I took off work and went in to hunt that cold front. Cause it was going to be a gnarly cold front. And I shot him um, last light, and and not an hour before that, I actually saw, uh, be really real with it, probably a 190 inch non typical, uh, walking up the opposite ridge, and he's on film, you know, in that vi- video. So it's like I saw two of the biggest deer I've ever seen in one night, which is absolutely insane. And you could tell the does were hot, and I mean, the, the 170 when he came by, he was heavy on a doe. And I'm sure that 190 was smelt him probably up there and was probably looking for a fight. So I mean, it was it, it was really cool. But same same thing. I knew kind of general area where this where the bedding um, and scraping tend to to congregate around. And then I just had to find what was fresh, and then jumped on the immediate first cold front. That, that I, I didn't I didn't waste any time on it. I immediately went in and hunted it before they, they possibly got pushed out or just moved on. That there weren't any, any more hot does there. Talk about you mentioned like speed scouting, and I know Dimitri has been doing a phenomenal job of this. And something that I want to do a better job with, especially this upcoming season, is kind of like scouting while I hunt, and more so even scouting. You know what I mean? And if it like if I go out there thinking I'm going to hunt that day, I want to know that I'm hunting over like fresh signs. So like I'm going to try to set a goal for myself where, you know, if he and I are going, say, to point A, I want to hopefully have been in point A at some time or have the opportunity to walk in where I could see some sign. And if like, you know what I mean? Like I feel like I've wasted so many hunts over the last couple of years where it's just like, this is looks like to be a good spot and you get up there and there's absolutely nothing because there's nothing around you. That's telling you that deer are one around or have been around that area. 
So what is your speed scouting to you? Um, just because I know like how you were kind of elaborating on earlier about being like the scent control guy and not putting your scent all over the place. So what is that looking like uh, for you? I keep it minimal. I don't go into areas very often. And also one of the biggest things for me is I keep, especially here in Missouri, I keep four or five properties on tabs. So that helps me spread out my, my hunting pressure. And so it's like, you know, this weekend I'm here instead of here. So, so I kind of have a, a tiered system. You know, this is my number one property this year because I found X or last year I saw X and, you know, I kind of have it set up at my priority properties and then it kind of go, goes from there. But speed scouting wise, um, I like to pick those bad days to get, get in there and make it fast. I, I access it as if I was hunting it and I do it in the middle of the day. I don't want to do it when, you know, towards morning or towards the evening when I possibly could, could spook deer if I'm in an area where I can run, run trail ca- cameras, I use that trail camera intel to one, tell me when the deer activity tends to be more active in that particular spot, which helps me access it and get out. Um, you know, Kentucky, I, I ran um, cell cameras, which ha- helped a lot and um, wasn't able to do that in Iowa, which would have been awesome, but you know, it is what it is. It worked so, out. <laughs> right. It worked out. So, but um, um, I had to get in and get out. I, I, I suit up just like I'm hunting it. I access it exact same access as I'm going to take when I'm hunting it. I don't meander around. I get in, see what I want to see, and I get out. If there's more information that I feel like I need, I'll try to gather it, but I'm not going to push deep. You know what I mean? Yep. And um, I'm also going to keep an open mind. I'm going to like, while I'm walking to that spot, I'm paying attention to everything. Cause if I'm barely missing him, you know, he, there's a lot, a lot of times you can't pick something up, but I want to see possibly if I'm barely missing him, you know, or barely missing a sign or a trail, something that I didn't pick up earlier or, or something that's new, something that's fresh. You know what I mean? Since I've bit, been there last. So keep that, keeping that open mind, and being very direct with my scouting, like, you know, my postseason scouting, I'm just going to cover ground. I don't even care what I walk through. That's the point of it. And, but with my in-season scouting, I'm very direct with it. I go to the spot and I get out, you know what I mean? So it's like, I'm there only for a couple minutes, probably max. And I, I see what I want to see. Either the deer are there and I need to pay attention to it or, and fit, you know, and figure out what the wind's doing again and and find the first cold front or the deer aren't there and i just need to go find them basically so so i make it quick i i don't don't kind of fart around too much with it and i'll also scout while i'm hunting too you know if i'm unable to get there you know other than a hunt then um, i'm gonna get there and sit it and then pay attention to what the deer are doing. And I fit, if I feel like I need to do some scouting, I'll hunt the morning in a spot where I, I feel like I'm good. And then I'll get up midday and go do some speed scouting, you know, either, either a, I, in the morning, I felt really good about where I'm at and I just stay 
or B, I'm like, something's just off. I don't really see what I'm wanting to see. And then I'll move. So that's another reason I like to stay very mobile, you know, ultralight tree stand. And I've gotten into saddle hunting the last couple of years also. That helps me kind of move without hauling around too much gear, you know, because I'm filming. So I'm hauling around a little extra gear as it is anyway. So the, the less I can haul around while I'm trying to pinpoint that location, the better. Yes. But yeah, I try to be direct with it, man. Yeah. I like that. Thank you. And I want you to talk a little bit more about how you hunt scrapes, because I feel like that's a very popular topic that we've kind of had brought up throughout the last several podcasts that we've done. And, you know, you talked about, that you like to hunt them on cold fronts, but like, are these mock scrapes? Are these only, you know, deer scrapes that, that, um, that you found are these scrapes that you found in the past or you found that day? Um, just dive in a little bit more, how you t- tackle those. Also, what would it take f- for a scrape for you to set up on it? If you found one, while you're kind of doing that speed scouting before set up, you know, if you, kind of finding their size is you know you talked about the freshness you know do you have to find two or three before you set up talk a little bit more specifically about how you're going to go about scouting and then hunting these scrapes are you putting trail cameras on them as well so um they're all all deer made scrapes so the, the only thing i might do is freshen up an already natural scrape so i, I don't i haven't run mock scrapes, you know, maybe one day when I've got some private land to kind of do, do more work on, I, I would like to run mock scrapes and really learn how to use and build a mock, mock scrape, but I just use what the deer give me. And, you know, I'm, I might freshen it up a little bit. I have done that in the past and saw um, um, results from, from it. And really what I'm looking for is I'm looking for a scrape that's super close to bedding. It's difficult to get to you can tell the people the hunting pressure isn't really getting to it maybe it's an overlooked spot maybe it's a long walk but you know a lot of guys are walking two to three miles nowadays so it's not you can't just out walk anybody anymore um super steep ridges to get to it uh just just weird weird spot just kind of an overlooked area so bedding and then immediate food source right right there with it and most of the time it's a white oak and you know the ridges will be loaded with reds and you'll see sporadic movement and scrapes kind of on those reds down the ridge but they all tend to congregate towards those big mature white oaks and i'm going to look for more than one scrape i'm going to look for a congregation of scrapes scrape size to me i've i found doesn't really matter it's in, uh, in Iowa, the scrapes were massive. I mean, they, they were the size of car hoods. It is crazy. And then, and then you've got properties in Kentucky where this property I hunted had absolute freaking toads on this property, but they didn't leave sign. The, 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 the biggest tree you might find that might be six-inch diameter tree, but it's not shredded. It's just kind of touched up a little, little bit. And then the, the scrapes you find might be a couple feet – in diameter so there's small scrapes but so it's like so i found that scrape size doesn't always necessarily give me the 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 telltale you know usually it's a congregation 
of scrapes is what I'm looking for. I'm, I'm looking for a congregation of scrapes that are actively being used. You can tell they've been pawed up. They've got poop all in them. Um, you can tell it's real close to some thick bedding cut cover. The trails are heavy leading into it. And, um, and you could just tell it hadn't really been hunted. So they've got all this stuff within probably 50 yards, you know, where this buck doesn't have to move very far, you know, in day, in daylight, he might have to move a hundred yards from bed to this tree, you know, in daylight. And that's what I'm looking for is, is a place where the deer doesn't have to move very far. I get in there super early. I try to beat him to his, beat him to his bed. And then I wait for him just to come out and see who's working the scrape is kind of what, what I like to do. And then just, just kind of pay attention to how the deer are using that particular area and then make adjustments from there. But, but when it comes to the scrapes, it's always a congregation of scrapes and you got the bedding and food right there at it. So have you noticed like any particular uh, spot on the map that you've really honed in on where you're like, all right, I found this now kind of continuously in Missouri, South Dakota, Iowa pattern, I guess you could kind of say like for, for me personally, I see a lot of scrapes, uh, back at home in Northeastern Pennsylvania on like a ton of trails. Like I, like if, if you're walking just in a random part of, of ridges and it's dropping elevation, unless you're near a trail, that's where you're going to see that scrape. But other where anywhere else it's, I'm hard to come by basically. It's, it's usually a, a com- combination of terrain features or, or edges is kind of what, what I'm looking for. And you know, that there's, uh, you're going to find a lot, lot of, of scrapes on, you know, field edges and food sources and right on the, the human walk, walking trail. And, and the, there's, that's always scraped up. I always find scrapes there, but I know that that's not going to be used during daylight because I know people hunt it and people walk it consistently. So I know it's not going to be used um, on a regular basis. But what that t- does tell me is that they're, they're somewhat close to that particular spot. So I, okay. That this, here's a increase in sign right here that I know they're not going to use during day, during daylight. Now I can branch off from there and where are they going to be using during daylight? So, Points are a bit big one. I love finding points either at the bottom of a point, you know, at the at the very bo- bottom of the ridge. I, I found some of my biggest, heaviest scrapes that down there. You know, the deer are either bed down the bottoms or the bed just kind of up the point just a little bit. And and I've also found them where this one set seventy was. It was on top of the ridge, but again, it was on a point. So it was it was in a in a spot where the, the ridge kind of teed off or cornered off just a li- little bit. I had a real big draw going up um, just to the north north of me, and it dropped straight down in front of me. So I had about a twenty yard distance here to the edge of that of that terrain feature a- edge of that ridge, and th- those scrapes were on that that corner because that's exactly how the deer used it. What the deer did is they either went down the ridge or they just did this and, you know, across the ridge. And so there's a, a bunch of trails from multiple different directions converging in on this. And it just so happened that there's a big old white oak right there. 
One thing I don't find in the bottoms a lot are the those big white oaks. Usually I find those those big white oaks either on top or just off the edge. I love finding those that are just off the edge of that top, kind of right on the edge of that of that ridge. You've got a point kind of going down into the bot bottoms, and and those are the ones I really like to find. find. So you got a couple of terrain features there. You got a couple edges converging on it, and so, sometimes I'll have a brush edge, you know, an, an understory change just slightly, where it might open up a little bit for me right at that big tree but you know around it it's super thick nasty that i know the deer are going to be bedding in so probably to put a a pin on it i would say i i find them a lot around points per se because that that iowa buck was that same way it was right on on a point and um kind of a corner that there you've got the crp directly to to my east and it was super evident, hard edge right, right there. And then up the ridge, you know, acorn flats and whatnot. Um, my nine point in Missouri, he was just a river. He was a river bottom deer. So there's no ridges and terrain features for me to hunt. But I was on the corner. So so I was kind of on a right away. I was hunting the opening. I was hunting the road in particular. But that road was only maybe 15 yards in width or 10 to 15 yards in width at certain spots. So it wasn't very big. And these, these oaks, these, these pin oaks lined that, that bedding area. And that, you know, I had the, the water right behind me. I could basically canoe to my tree. So I had a hard edge right, right there. And right with this bedding cover cornered right there, I was sitting right in that corner, right where, right, right there. And that's where those main scrapes were. And that's where I ended up shooting him. So usually it's got a combination yeah. of combining features and edges. It's usually where I find my best scrapes. Awesome. I like that. Now, you haven't really talked much about trail cameras, and now we're kind of in the peak of, tra- I would say, trail camera season right mm-hmm. now in the middle of, you know, towards the end of July. Uh, you know, how do you use your trail cameras? Uh, you using cell cameras? Are you just putting them on scrapes, on trails? How do you navigate uh, trail cameras? So with, with trail cameras, I'll I'll either do a combination. I like to run a combination full season soak, and where I won't touch that camera because I'll put it in a super sensitive area, and I won't touch that camera all year. And basically, that entails what I'll gather for next year. Or um, I do have some soak cameras that, that I love running, and that helped me in Kentucky to get immediately on deer because it was a bit of a drive out there for me. And um, I like setting them on a draw of some kind. So scrapes, sometimes I'll set, set them on a trail, but it has to be a very obvious pinch for me just to try to catch movement. But some of the best trail, um, best trail camera setups I've, set, I've put up have been on some kind of a draw, which usually ends up being a scrape. Because, you know, you, you can't, that camera only takes such has such a big range, you know, to take pictures. So I need a reason for that deer to walk by my, by my trail camera. And, you know, I'm going to set that trail camera eight to 10 feet in a tree. I want to make sure it's, it's out of sight. And I don't rely on my trail camera pit pictures. There's been way too many times I've seen deer skirt trail cameras and, 
and um, I just use it kind of as an extra tool for me to maybe see what what's in the what's in the area. But um, when it comes to like this time time of year, honestly, I don't I don't expect my better deer to show up in my particular spots until beginning to middle of October. So, so I don't even mess with locating de- deer right, right now in my particular areas unless I was going to, like, Kentucky where they've got that September 3rd Erplaner or Nebraska, you know, or North Dakota trying to find a velvet buck. That's the only time I'll truly try to locate something right now. I just haven't found that luck scouting the, the summer because those deer disappear on me. So, so usually, honestly, man, I, I'm waiting for September. I'll throw cameras out and set my tree stands where I think they need need to be. You know, the, the ones I'm going to leave if they don't have my my mobile setup, and I'm just going to wait for the deer to come to me. I know they have been at this spot, you know, um, historically. So, like, this is a pretty good bet that they're probably going to show back up. So, like, let's let's set up. And let's wait for them to, to, to show up. And then the moment they show up, I, I've either, I get pictures of them, and, and I already have a setup. I already have a tree ready. So I hit that first cold front and move in on them. So, you know, I I don't take too much stock in the right now, which is one reason my <laughs> content's a little t- tough right now because I'm not out there trying to locate de- deer just yet. But, um, you know, I'd like to get out and do some early season hunting again. Um in the years years coming but i'm not going to be able to this year We'd, but yeah i don't take too much stock into trail cameras they they're a good tool but i don't rely on them that's a good point just because i know like you were saying like right now it's it's a great opportunity for a lot of people it's it, shoot some people love even more so putting these cameras out and seeing what they're getting on camera than they actually do hunting uh right yeah but, but i mean it is tough because i remember you know heck being a little kid and not realizing that it's like you you know it's june or july and august and you got a nice buck on camera and you're like oh man i hope he sticks around and not realizing that it's like you never see him because he's be gone yeah. he's gone you know what i mean so uh you know i guess though it's good to know and i remember you saying just a little bit ago about you when you did that postseason scouting you know were you looking for during that postseason scouting like and you got in right after the season Stuff that necessarily isn't made fresh, or are you looking for things that maybe were made a few weeks ago? That way, you know, like, hey, like I'm I'm going through this. It's December, whatever. You know, these deer are only moving through here because of this is what the food source is here right now. This food source was not here a month ago, and they weren't really keying in on it. If it was here a month ago, they are now because this is what's left. You know, are you kind of looking for that quote unquote little bit older sign, like this past season sign or, or are you looking for like, Hey, yeah, this is fresh. I'm going to come back here next year type of ordeal. So anything and everything that was left this year, Mm-hmm. is what, what I'm looking for. And and even even historical sign. So I want I want all of it because what's cool about the historical sign is if I have a, a specific spot where I've got a massive this year rub, but not too far from it, I've got a massive last year rub. That means probably it's the same buck and and that he's actively there you know, he, that's his spot. That's where he feels safe. That's, he is there close. 
So I like to find a, a pattern to the, their movement. And, you know, my, my Onyx looks nuts at the end of a, a postseason scouting trip because I, I mark everything that's significant, anything and everything that's significant, and then I'm going to narrow it down from there. You know, you know, when I find a significant scrape, why is it significant? Mm-hmm. Uh, where is it on on the ridge? Is there a terrain feature? What's the food source close? Where's the nearest human access? You know, not only for, for me, me to be able to get to it, but for other pe- people to get to it, you know. And, you know, what? why is it there? Why is this part significant? And if it's a single scrape, um, I'm going to make note of it, but I'm not going to take too much stock into it until I say I walk another 50 yards and find another massive scrape. You know what I mean? And then I'm like, okay, there's something about this particular trail, this particular ridge that that they're consistently kind of here. So. I take notes of everything that, that I see, see in the woods, especially, you know, out of state hunts, because I only get one shot up there because of time to try to collect as much Intel as possible. So I'm going to over mark, you know, everything I'm going to take notes and you know, this, you know, this marker is red because it's not quite as important. And this marker is blue because it's, it's more important. It, it right. fits what I'm looking for. And then I, I make a, a combination of those. And then I go back and I look at the map and I see where there, there's a bit of a pattern of movement. Like, okay, yeah, with this there's a line of scrapes here, a line of scrapes here. They kind of you find that where they somewhat can connect in a little bit of an area, and it helps you kind of narrow down kind of where, where you're looking there. Nice. And then I'm looking, you know, betting. So that's the bit biggest thing that I want to find too. I want to find something where these deer are going to be comfortable and want to move during during daylight for for me and have some food available as well. I want to talk about the pressure? You know, you've brought that up, and especially too, like when you look on your deer hunting academy thing, you talk about like, hey, my experience is hunting that highly pressured whitetail. You know, what are the th- some of the things that you are maybe doing differently? Uh, are you one of those individuals that's you're hunting the hunter basically and going where they're not and you're thinking the deer are going to go or are you going in, in as deep as possible? Like Dimitri and I, we've tried to do that, but it just seems like when we go in deep, there's another access point somewhere else on that other end and someone's coming in mm-hmm. behind us, um, you know, type of ordeal. So what has been your kind of bread and butter or strategy regarding the, the highly pressured uh, whitetail? I, I look at for those overlooked spots because especially here in Missouri, most of our public land, it's pretty easy to access the MDC most trails. They put a lot of parking lots in. Even if there is possible water access on property, there's not a place that you really can't get to by foot, even if you have to walk a little bit further. So I found that walking the furthest isn't necessarily my my go-to. It, it used to be, and, and especially in the last five years, that's completely changed. I've, I find where the people are not. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's a big thing I'm trying to do during my postseason scouting is also maybe locate tree stands. Um but in maybe spots that I didn't think people were may have been getting to, and then I find a tree stand. I'm like, oh, okay, okay, people are here. Let's let's move on. 
um, um, find hidden roads. Cause sometimes if it's a, a new property to me that there's a, a road, a access trail that I didn't know about, you know, or that's not marked on the trail, but if you've hunted it before, you know about that access trail and then you're going to have company. Mm-hmm. And, and something I've noticed too is, um, I'm not as afraid of hunting pressure as I used to be. So there's a reason these big bucks stay on property and it's because they, they can escape. They've learned to escape and they've learned to survive. So yeah, they, they might get bumped a couple of times, but they survive every single time. So, so, and it, but it's just a, a walkthrough hunter. So maybe it's a spot where these people where guys are walking through, but they're not staying, you know, you know what I mean? Yep. So, there's not many places, honestly, on public that you're going to get to that nobody's been. And I don't think there is a spot like somebody's already been there. So, um, but why aren't they, you know, if they're not setting up and staying, that buck knows that, you, you know what I mean? He just has to hunker down and let them pass or, or he just slinks off and, and they net, they never see him. So they don't even know he's there. Right. And, um, um yeah, I'm just going to find those, those overlooked spots predominantly, man. I love it, dude. I, I mean, that, that that brings me back to like Dimitri, what, two years ago when we were hunting kind of heavily on that public land spot. And I mean, it's really not that far. We weren't that far off the beaten path. It was just mm-hmm. kind of like what you said, Austin. I just don't, I think people, when they would walk in, they're either setting up way before it or they're kind of scurrying through to a different side. And we would be yep. on the other end of where deer movement was coming. I mean, that year for hunting public land in central PA, when you would drive down the, the parking road or the road that people drive on, I mean, you're seeing multiple cars there during archery season. So it's not like it's like, oh, it's only archery season. There's going to be barely anybody there. There's a shit ton of people. But mm-hmm. we saw a crap ton of deer that year. A lot. Mm-hmm. And we, you know what I mean? Like yeah. we were successful filling tags that year. So I don't know, man. It's, it's crazy like when you hear, you know, that's the I guess so funny I guess about this industry is just those buzzwords it's you know the you know like the the mountain bucks the highly pressure this this and that and which is it's all true you know what I mean there's it's not saying that mm-hmm. it's not it's just you know you got to get out there and I guess put 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 your work in and you know I, I circle those three things and I asked you like what were those three you know aspects that has helped you be successful and and you know you said preparation finding the sign and your cold fronts, you know, like those three things, if you are an individual where trying to plan your hunt, like one of my other goals, just to elaborate more on for this year was like, I want to plan to not take a day off during the week in like October, because I know for me, I'm, I would, I would consider myself like a rut hunter. Right. Like I know where spots are, where like where I'm normally seeing like deer, especially bucks walking on their feet during the daytime. Right. So it seemed like if it would be like a random October 13th and it was finally like 80 degrees the past two days and then it's finally dropping to 55 or like it's going to be 51 in that morning and it's the first time it's in the 50s in in months, I would go out and like I would. I'd be in a shitty spot and wouldn't see a deer. So like it'd almost be like a wasted day off for me. So I'm trying to like do better of like, if that's the day, instead of me personally hunting, I might hunt that evening and go scout around. You know what I mean? Like I'm trying to 
to learn and get better and, and do that side of the thing for, for my end, just because I, I always was in that mindset. Like if I'm able to hunt, I should hunt and not necessarily like get my butt up in a tree and hope, you know, fingers crossed, hopefully you're in that good spot, basically like, Oh, I know I've seen deer in here or here's a trail or whatever. Uh, that's, that's kind of my goal is to, to not just do that. And if that means I'm just on the ground scouting around and maybe do a spot and stock and do better with that type of ordeal, then that's what I, I'll, I'm going to try to do. Yeah. And that, that's like what I've tried to do a lot also is just increase my scouting time. Not, not, not so much hunt all the time because I, you're always hunting, mm-hmm. you know, even, even when you're scouting, you're always hunting, but I want to be so precise with my, with my hunt because time is limited and I want to be as prepared as possible and go into a hunt knowing that I'm on super fresh sign in an area that's, that's close to, to a buck bed. And so, yeah, I will move and, and do a lot, lot more scouting as, as well throughout the season. And, you know, October, those deer don't, don't move super long ranges, not like they will during the rut. But, you know, if you can nail down your buck bed, fresh sign right next to that buck bed on a food source of some kind, like a mass tree, you hit a cold front on there and that's, he's going to be up there looking, looking to work that scrape. I like it. I appreciate that. Awesome, man. So let's, uh, let's kind of wrap things up, dude. So you have on your website, you mentioned earlier, you have the three main packages, uh, uh, of what you got going on. Uh, you, you have your, your basic, um, you know, deer hunter Academy. It looks like you're offering just a couple of those topics out of the full 23. Then you have the mentor one, like you've talked about. Uh, and then you have the full access of, of the full course and you offer discount code. So, you know, if it's something that you're interested in people, I mean, I just think it's great to go out there and support someone that's put a lot into it. Um, you know, and is also very successful, uh, hunting as well. So it's not like you're, 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 uh, you know, just creating some type of uh, snake oil and all that type of stuff. So, you know, man, I, I appreciate you coming on. So talk a little bit about where people could find that uh, a little bit, maybe more to wrap up your program if needed uh, that we, maybe we didn't touch upon and, and kind of go from there. Yeah. So um, my website is tacticalapproachoutdoors.com and you can see, you know, deer hunter Academy is right there on the website. I've got multiple other consulting services and also a little bit more information about, about me and um you can see our, our youtube show tactical approach outdoors on youtube as well i've got quite a few videos you can look at last year's videos as as well on there that was that was quite the quite the season to get all that <laughs> self-filmed such cool footage on that which just was just fantastic well, congrats on that man because that is a my freaking kryptonite yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, yeah, appreciate that. And um, Instagram and TikTok, Tactical Approach Outdoors. And, you know, if you have any questions about anything, don't ever hesitate to shoot me a message. Awesome, man. We'll definitely go follow Austin. I appreciate you guys uh, joining in and uh, following along and listening. And we'll see you next week. Till next time, Antler up. <laughs>